seeing the food come out and of all my sort of imagination all the things I've thought about for years and stuff that I just didn't do because I wanted to keep it for when I was in my, doing my own thing it's like really exciting to see it come to come to life and just seeing it like go out go on the plate um, yes yeah, it's, it's sort of yeah it's quite pleasurable to be honest this is the deep in the weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep Spending a lot of your career working for someone else and carrying out their vision sometimes allows you time to work on and develop your own voice on the plate. When you finally get the chance, how do you take the opportunity and let your creative flair take over? John Rankin is the executive chef of the Tap House in McLaren Vale, South Australia. John, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you today, Huck? Good. It's good to get you on the show. You've taken on a pretty exciting role at the Tap House. Um, how's things going there? Um, so far, it's been yeah, it's been hard because it's just opening. So we've been open about six weeks now. Um, so we're just kind of getting the menu right, uh, seeing what the customers like, and just getting what sort of format we want to work with. But it's been exciting just getting um, all the food out, and we've been sort of concentrating on sort of aged, um, cured, and smoked meats. Mm. How did the gig come about? Um, so I just happened to come up on Seek and um, I sort of just applied for it and it just happened to be the people that were sort of running it because LA is quite small. So um, my boss was friends with one of the chefs that I used to work with and then before you know it, you're in there, you've got the interview and it's all sort of happening. The, the approach that you're saying, so it's only six weeks so far, but are you approaching things differently given the last couple of years and um, the volatility of the industry? Yeah, so definitely your business plan's got to be different. So, um, like, we've sort of, I've kind of gone down the stream of like making more accessible food, um, and it's got to be easy for the chefs to prep. So, you can't go too overboard just because of the uh, chefs coming through is either completely brand new, haven't had no experience at all, or they've got. You know, and find the people with experience to chef to party to sous chef is super hard. So you've got to make things sort of easy, um, and just sort of so we can sort of get the get the job done. Tell us a little bit about the region. Um, you're connecting with growers and farmers of the regions. Do you have any stories about those connections that you've made? So I mean, yes. So I've gone down to the um, like the sort of farmers market and just met a few suppliers that sort of doing. Um, so like herbs, mushrooms, there's a few people like doing their own sort of growing their own pork. So I've just sort of started making connections with them as we've opened. So I'm slowly start getting them more into um, into the uh, restaurant. They're sort of through like McLaren Vale around that area. Um, but I've built a lot of relationships through the years through like my Eurostation, um, uh, sort of like with the local suppliers, sort of sort of like butchers and um, like veg suppliers and stuff like that. So I've sort of got all, them all on board. So trying to use as much local produce as I can, S- local seafood, you know, so from Port, Port Lincoln um, to Coffin Bay and just sort of all around the area and like Kura Mulloway and stuff like that. I want to explore um, sort of what you're doing on the menu there and the project shortly, but take us back to when you were young. What sort of role did food play in your family? Um, so, like, my family always cooking. So, like, my mum was always baking cakes and cookies and making little, like, 
um, sweet slices and stuff like that. So I was always cooking um, from a young age. I was always sort of in the kitchen. I think the earliest thing I remember cooking, I was like four years old and started making muffins. My mum left the kitchen and I decided to turn the oven on. And just from watching my mum, I just made cook these muffins and and bake them. And it just sort of started from there and I just sort of always – always been cooking sort of in my house if you wanted to eat there was never just like snacks lying around you had to actually cook to make something <laughs> you know so there's always sort of cheese and there's bread and there was eggs and so you're you could never you always had to make stuff tell us about the first introduction uh, into the industry what, what was it like for you um, so my first job would have been in Greytown, sort of the wire wrapper in New Zealand. Um, so I went in there, just sort of walked off the street and just um, approached the chef there and just said if he needed some help. So I just started like washing dishes, and then he like always needed help. So I started, he would be I'd help him baking and doing still basic prep, um, and he was really nice. So it was quite a good introductory into the industry. Um, very kind and sort of sort of more like a family-owned sort of cafe out in the, in the country. So it was kind of it was kind of fun. Tell us about the move to Australia. What, what triggered it and, and what was it like for you? Um, so, because my dad lived in Perth, so I just decided to go for a year holiday and I've been here for, <laughs> been here ever since. But uh, <laughs> So I came over and um, was helping him on like distilling labouring and stuff like that and then this, I saw this course come up for like a pre-apprenticeship course. Um, so I jumped in and did that and I did really well. So I was like, getting 100% on all my tests and just really enjoyed it and then um, ended up getting a job at sort of Ridges CBD, uh, newly opened sort of restaurant at the time, um, got put on, did work experience there and did like two weeks and just they one day came up to me and go, oh, can you do pizza section with uh, our chefs called them sick, standard of the industry, people sick, down a chef. Um, so I jumped on that and did it really well so they after my work experience offered me a job and that's where I sort of started those sort of first couple of years what were the really big influences on you um those both venues and people that helped you carve a path well I think um so first place I worked had some really good chefs from like um from like the UK so my sous chef was uh, from the UK and he worked at the Savoy so very very intense and very hard chef um but taught me really well so just how to organize how to set up a section how to cook um and then the head chef uh, scott Drinkwater, he was a very very good chef as well like very um like very good food at the time we we're like rated one of the best places in perth for the food that we we're doing but really busy restaurant too so we we're doing 200 lunches to like 300 during the week so got taught about how to be really organized and efficient and you needed to be quick so it taught me speed um and just a really good place to sort of to learn like in my first year i'd done every section in the kitchen so pastry i did the, and then i got put on uh the grill section so i was kind of always in charge of sort of doing the meat and i was getting left in charge of running the kitchen some nights and stuff like that as well do you, do you have any um stories of a of a night in in the kitchen and and what it was like for you back then um, yeah, some like sometimes you could be like left in in charge as a first year apprentice, and you'd get get you know the whole kitchen wouldn't like it. So um, you you could get back, you know, like people would give you give you shit back, I suppose, and they just wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't like the fact that I was sitting there um, 
sort of in charge, but obviously the sous chef, they, I mean, they sort of had faith in me. Um, and it wasn't so much that um, that I needed to do it, but when you're running the grill, that's kind of comes hand in hand with running the dockets. So that's how, how it got sort of put there. Um, but I used to always get sort of put like in that kitchen doing everything because I could do everything, but it was hard. Because always the way when you don't have enough people with more experience, I don't like the fact when you're sort of running stuff. You've worked abroad in Singapore and the UK. Tell us a bit about those experiences. So UK, um, that was good. So I started off at the Intercontinental there for a little bit, for about three months. And then I moved over to the Lansborough Hotel. They're kind of about 50 metres away from each other. Um, that was different, you know, like coming from uh, sort of Sydney and stuff like that and you're sort of starting 7 o'clock in the morning, getting out at 1 o'clock in the morning, um, you're working like sometimes six days. So you, literally you just see the kitchen and that's all you see, <laughs> you know, the full walls. But so you, like the product and just the different sort of produce that you see is it it exciting. So I did that for about a year and then I um, – sort of came back to Australia and then so in Singapore I opened up a restaurant called Waitang and that was so I got taken over to Singapore with the owner from the Tonglok group um, he was fantastic and knew super so much knowledge about food but he took me around all um, all these restaurants in Singapore all the street food all the hawker food then took me around all those restaurants because he's got a he's probably got about 50 restaurants in Singapore. I think altogether he's got about 300 over over Asia. Um, so I got to hang out with him for about two weeks and then he put me in all the kitchens to work with his chefs. So I got came back with all these amazing recipes um, and just had a cook on the walk and stuff like that. It was an, um, an amazing experience. What did you love about your time in Singapore? Um, just seeing all the food and just like just – stuff I'd never seen before and just learning how to cook all that Asian food and just getting all these really authentic sort of recipes and just, yeah, all I did for two weeks was eat and cook. So it was kind of kind of amazing, you know. One of those experiences that you, you know, like you'd never really kind of get again, you know, just to be have the owner of a massive uh, corporation to take you around to all those restaurants and all those favourite places was just amazing. You spent some time working in Sydney as well. What was that like compared to what you were used to? Um, I really liked Sydney. I was in Sydney for like 15 years. Um, so I started off at Intercontinental there. Um, that was probably, uh, probably oh, I suppose, one of my least favourite. Like I always got told to go work in a five-star hotel and I found the food was nothing that great when I went to, to Sydney. Um but still good learning experience, big kitchen, big brigade, 40, 40 plus chefs. So that was kind of, that was good, just um, meeting different people. And then from there, I went, from, went ended up working at Key uh, with Peter Gilmore. Um, that was kind of life-changing. He's just such a good chef and just learning new techniques and stuff I'd never seen before. Um, that was amazing. And he's such a nice, nice chef. Um, so I really enjoyed working there. Um, and then from there, I kind of went to Astral with uh, Sean Connolly up in the casino up there. Um, at, and there's – yeah, yeah, <laughs> but that was an awesome place to work as well. Like, I like really enjoy. Like, I've known Sean for like sixteen years, um, and I've worked on and off with him for like ten years now. Um, but it's super fun working there. Uh, there's like Tony, 
Tony Gibson was the head chef there when I was there, and they're just all really good people to work with. Learned heaps from them, uh, heaps about European food and more about just using really good produce and not doing too much with it over over the years. Um, and then from there, I ended up going traveling all around Europe. So I spent like five, six months traveling around Europe, just eating and looking at produce, um, and that was great. <laughs> just eating my way around Europe. Whereabouts did you go? Do you have any stories of that journey? So I went to so so we went to the UK to start with, and I ate it. Ate at like the square, um, that was amazing. Uh, the library, and then St John's ate ate there. That was really good. And then there's a, like the oldest restaurant in uh, London called uh, the R- Rules, which is like a it's got its own estate and they hunt their own birds and stuff like that. And that was uh, that was amazing too. Just to see, it was quite amazing. I was saying that wasn't Michelin starter or anything, and just the quality of the service and the quality of the food back then, which is now would probably probably be up there at that level. Um, and then from there, went to um, sort of went to France, to Paris, ate at Pierre Gagnier when that when that was rated uh, third best in the world. That was probably one of my like favorite experiences as well. He's one of one of my chefs. I always followed through my whole career. I just kind of really liked him. Um, and then from there, just sort of went to like, there's a little place in my Yorker I went that was because one of my friends, he's Spanish and he's, uh, just sent me to one of those local places, um, the local food. And that was really good. And then just in, in, in and out of lots of different places and just eating wherever we could. Um, I went to the oldest restaurant, I think in the world, I think it's, it was meant to be in my, in Madrid. And all they do is just little suckling pigs cooked in fire and baby lamb legs and just that's kind of all they sell but it was kind of ama- amazing like super and the, like the leg of lamb on your plates probably weighs like 500 grams it was something unreal <laughs> when you when you returned to australia did did that journey have an impact on the way you approached uh, your food and cooking Definitely, definitely. So it was kind of a real eye-opener um, and just spending, spending – because I spent about two months, two and a half months in Spain. So when I came back, uh, I met back up with Sean and he was opening Sean's kitchen. Um, and there we did like the little um, tupper section. So I opened that part of Sean's kitchen and so that was fun. So it was just so all the experience in sort of Spain and all that kind of little tuppers was great. And one of my best mates is Spanish, so we used to always go on about food. So we're always sort of talking. So I got to use all that sort of influence in that area when we opened that. Um, so that was exciting. And then sort of from that, I ended up running, me and Tony ended up running that whole, the whole Sean's Kitchen between us. Tell us a little bit about your time in Adelaide. What's it been like sort of immersing yourself into the, the food scene there? Um, so Adelaide's been – it's like a good place to live. I sort of started off – it came down. Sean just rung me up out of the blue and said, why don't you come work for me? We had no ties in Sydney. So um, came down came down to Adelaide and started working at Sean's Kitchen. Um, that's super, super busy restaurant. But Adelaide food seems really good to be honest. Um, just more and more in the last sort of three years, I've got more into it, like eating out a lot more, uh, checking out all the restaurants. Um, there's heaps of good produce down here. And just everything's, yeah, just different, good, really good food and just super tasty. So I've enjoyed it 
to be honest. It's a um, super friendly city. It's kind of different coming down from Sydney where no one talks to you, where everyone sort of talks to you down here and they'll take half an hour, come sit on your pass, have a chat with you. Um, so really nice, to be honest. You mentioned some of the producers that you've connected with over the years, like Mayura and um, Boston Bay, Berkshire Pork. Tell us a little bit about um, those products and, and how you use them because they're, they're quite unique um, brands. Yeah, so um, Mayura Station is, you know, because steaks and their beef, it's amazing, amazing beef. Um, but because at Sean's Kitchen, we're kind of a steakhouse, so I'd get all their get their products and then make sure, you know, so I use my Delort Roast Biff and stuff like that, uh, which is like the eye of the rump. And I'd get that and I'd age it for like two months and then I'd take it out and then I'd have like a little dryage fridge and then I'd put it in the dryage fridge for the three days just to dry it out, take the moisture out. Um, so just stuff like that. So it's taken care and um, with the meat. But I've done my Eurostation dinners for Tasting Australia. So we do like five courses with their beef. Um, I know Scott really, really well. So we always done these dinners together. Um, and the, the beef is just amazing. So Wagyu beef that it's like been won lots of awards in the industry and like it gets fed on chocolate at the end. So it's just an amazing, amazing product. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the project that you're on now, the tap house. Um, what, what's your approach with, with the food and um, tell us a little bit about, about your ethos. Um, so for me, it's kind of keep the food. It's all about the produce and where I can get it. Everything needs to have a story behind it. So even before I, we opened the restaurant. I probably spent two months just talking to the butchers, talking about what products I'm going to use, getting age the, the meat aged before it even came onto the came into the restaurant. So, like, I got my Eurostation T bones. So I got them aged for like two months before I even started using them. Um, I got Rangers Valley sort of briskets, and I've got um, different steaks through. Uh, through um, through that, and you got to all that beef's got to be aged. So nothing, you don't want anything that's less than six weeks, or else I find it doesn't have the flavour. It's not tender enough. Um, so it's a big. So getting all that stuff to so organise, finding like local ducks. So we we're using Ocean Road ducks and making ballantines from it. So it's a local duck, and that's amazing. Um, so just anything to do with pro because I'm quite protein driven so real simple and I've so it's all about getting that aged and making sure getting the best I can with that and then obviously local vegetables and stuff like that but just trying to working on the protein side of it is there a dish or two that you have on the menu at the moment that you could tell us about that sort of exemplifies your approach um yeah I could so um Let's see. So I've, I suppose I've started doing a little bit of my charcuterie. So the ducks, we've sort of done, turn into get them, bone them out completely. Um, and then I've made like a, you know, duck fast to go on the center of it, roll it, and then I've sort of uh, steamed it and smoked it for like six hours. And then that's sort of just sliced really thinly on the plate with just some pickles. So simple but beautiful tasting, and you don't really need to do much else with it. Um, and then just things like seafood as well. So we're just doing like uh, albacore tuna tartare um, with like soy dashi um, stock and just keep it like real simple. So Kingfish ceviche from Port Lincoln um, and then sort of 
just concentrating sort of on steaks. So I've got like a 36 degrees stripling on the bone that's been dry aged for six weeks, um, which is South Australian as well, which is a beautiful piece of beef. Uh, and then just sort of, um, you know, little snacks as well. So uh, we've got little things like a rye tortilla with a pea puree of sort of mushy peas with goat's curd, uh, shimiji mushrooms and sort of lentil, lentil sprouts that we spread ourselves. What's it like in the role you're in compared to previous roles? Um, you mentioned that you worked with Sean for, for many years, but do you have a, a lot more freedom on this menu than previously? Yes, yeah, so this, this is exciting because like last six years I spent with Sean, you kind of cooking this food. We, we know each other really well. Um, so I knew I could put dishes on because I knew his style, but it's still not your own food. Uh, so now it's complete control, complete freedom for what I want to do. Um, before I even got the role, I had to submit a menu to the owners and they really liked the whole menu um, and they didn't really come back with anything that they wanted to, to change, which is kind of unusual. Um, and now we've opened up and they just love the food. So they're really supportive of what I do. Um, and I cook all the – they've come and tried everything. And they're just they're a bit like just keep we want the restaurant we'll keep pushing it'll take time but we love what you do and just keep this is what we want so that's that's been really exciting to have someone backing you like that and really liking your food and um, yeah it's been exciting. You mentioned you've been open about six weeks now. Did, we're moving into summer and busier times. Do you see some changes or things you want to add to what you're doing off the back of that sort of six weeks so far? Um, yes, yeah, so even just last week, we've kind of come in because, uh, and I've reached sort of changed the menu a lot. Um, so it sort of changed to be coming in this week. Uh, at one stage, we had like a bar menu and then like a restaurant menu. Um, so it made it a bit hard. So now we just got rid of it all and just put one one menu for out. Um, and then, yeah, sort of lighter stuff for summer and just sort of trying to, trying to keep the menu small. I don't want to go too big so it becomes too hard. So small um, and it's just easy to, to run because I think once we get – going through summer and it's busy, you're going to need that for the chefs to make it easy for them to do. You've been um, cooking for a long time now, but, um, you know, you have the ability to do your own food now. What sort of impact is that having on you? How does it feel to be able to share your vision on the plate now like this? It's um, it's exciting. It's really exciting because seeing the food come out and of all my sort of imagination, all the things I've thought about for years and stuff that I just didn't do because I wanted to keep it for when I was in my, doing my own thing, it's like really exciting to see it come to come to life and just seeing it like go out, go on the plate. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's sort of yeah, it's quite pleasurable to be honest. Well, you're doing uh, amazing things down there. I know you're just getting started. Um, what do you love about what you do? Um, I just l- love sort of cooking and uh, talking to people, uh, putting the food out and just getting sort of finding what people like and, yeah, sort of even even sort of at Sean's Kitchen, I suppose, as well. I always had the customers come up to me and I'd always talk to them, go out and chat to them. Uh, and just if they wanted something done, I'd just I'd kind of cook for them. The, I had lots of regulars that would come and just go, Johnny, just cook for us. You know what we like. And I, so that was kind of – that's exciting. I kind of like that. Well, uh, John, it's uh, an honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear part of your story. Good luck with the Tap House and, and the year ahead. Uh, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Cool. Thank you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. 
I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.